to be in the Lord's house today. It really is, and I appreciate so much each of you adding your voice, your love for Christ, for God through Christ, your willingness to be unashamed and unapologetic in your, in your worship of God. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. So if we open our mouths, a phrase that you hear quite often at our fellowship, then we create a habitation for him. And that's our goal. Certainly we have limited accessibility to his presence due to our carnality. But when we have these measured moments, we, we want to rejoice in them. It's a privilege. And I'm so appreciative that you come to worship God with us. I didn't, I got to, to see and, you know, during the days of COVID, whether it be to, I tell people, and I'll say this one more time from the pulpit, wherever you're at, that's where I'm at. If you want a handshake, you get a handshake. If you want a hug, you get a, sh- a hug. You get an elbow nod, you get an elbow nod. Um, if you say, Pastor, stay away from me 30 feet, I'm staying away 30 feet. And because uh, I want to meet you where you're at, but I appreciate each and every one of you taking the time to come to be in service with us today. Um, our family, many of our family is here today, Sherry and I and our children, and they have converged upon the Brown family home, and we have learned a lesson that we built too small a house. <laughs> if it's Doug and Mary Lynn here, we want our house back, Doug. <laughs> no, we don't. I'm sorry. I'm just teasing. But nonetheless, we are so grateful to have them to be uh, all of, all of the, the children and spouses, as many as could be here today. We appreciate each one of them. And we're praying for you and your family. Christmas can be, a, 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 as it's already been spoken, it can be a time that is very rewarding, but it also be a time that's very difficult too. Uh, people that have lost loved ones throughout the course of the year, when they hit this moment of the holidays, it's never more uh, challenging than it is during this particular time. So I want to ask before we go further into our text, I'm very excited to preach the word of the Lord to you. I had a great Friday. Friday is my day of preparation, so don't call because I'm not going to answer. And, uh, but it's the, Fridays are now my day that I've really been able to sit alone and just lock myself in in my office at home and just seek the Lord and hear his voice and to you know, chasten myself and judge myself and so that I can be hopefully fully prepared to speak to you the word of God, but we, I have not tried to uh, sound the alarm on the, the COVID situation or anything, but I will just say this, but there are several in our church family that do have COVID right now, and the majority of them are relatively young, and so, but we pray, but we do pray for every person, right, and we just pray for God's healing and protection upon them, so let's take a moment to add to the prayers that have already been prayed. And let's pray for those that we may know and love that have uh, contracted COVID, but even just a protection upon God's people, and that we won't live in fear, right? That fear can be as bad as the disease, right? And so let's, let's pray against that today. Father, we love you, and as we come to you today, we're grateful to be able to intercede on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we pray, God, today, you are Jehovah Rapha. You're the Lord who heals, and many of those that are part of our church family that have Father God, contracted the disease. Today, we send the word of the Lord by the wing of an angel, God, who will walk into their room right now with the healing balm of Gilead, Father, in the name of Jesus. 
and that God that all sickness would be broken off of them and their health and their strength could be restored. The Bible says that you would renew their, Father God, their strength like the eagles. Renew their youth like the eagles, God. That's our prayer today. Let them run and not grow weary. and Let them walk and not faint. That's our prayer. It's a prayer of faith. Cover the hearts and minds of all of your children, God. I remember that the psalmist said, Father, a thousand may fall at our side and 10,000 at our right hand, but it shall not come nigh unto us. And so we thank you, God, for being the God Father of supernatural protection. And we trust in that today. And it's in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me all the way deep into the Bible to Genesis chapter number 1. Now, if you can't find Genesis chapter number 1, then we will not ridicule you. Because maybe you've never had a Bible before. And so this could be your first time. Well, the reason why I said it, that's the first book. Genesis means the beginning. So just start somewhere in the beginning. When you get past the introduction and the table of contents, you are there. Come on, that's funny right there, church family. So won't you stand up with me? Let's honor the Lord's word. This is a, this is a practice that we participate in here almost every Sunday and uh, we honor the reading of a text of Scripture. We're going to read four verses from Genesis chapter number 1. Here it says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Come on now. Many of you can quote this. And the earth was without form and void. And what was upon the face of the deep? Darkness. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Verse number 3, And God said, I love that, And God said, let me know it's important what God says. Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, notice this, that it was good. I like that too, right there. Let's read that one more time. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And so today, I want to share with you a thought that the Lord put in my heart, entitled, The Purpose of the Light. The Purpose of the Light. So let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful to be with my church family and my family today. And I'm thankful to be able to share with them the principles of faith that I believe in, Father. And I ask today that as we pray so regularly and commonly in this house, let preaching come easy today. Let the people of God's attention and attentiveness and desire just extract out of me, the preacher, every good thing that you put inside of me for this moment. I pray that today in the name of Jesus. Prepare every heart, Father, today to receive this engrafted word in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen and amen. And you can be seated. Next year, in February, I, as your pastor, will be celebrating 25 years of full-time pastoral ministry in February of 2021. That's a long time for a young guy like me. Now, with that, yeah, I heard that laugh right there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, we'll talk later. Uh, but nonetheless, um, you know, when you come to what we call special days or holy days, which we now call holidays, sometimes they're the easiest of sermons to prepare. And yet sometimes they're the most challenging sermons to prepare. And you would think that we would come to the birth of the Messiah when the cultural and the church-wide celebration of the birth of the Messiah would make this message the easiest to convey. 
But the reality is because the culture has taken that which is holy and turned and has used it to rend us with it as the Lord Jesus warned us of when he said, cast not your pearls before swine for they will turn and rend you with them. It makes it oftentimes one of the more difficult sermons. Now I'm just opening up this from this perspective so you'll understand because I see the challenges that are laid upon people many times to keep up with the Christmas madness. Come on now, everybody here at some point in time or another, you have felt the strain and the pressure of Christmas, right? Don't lie. If you do, there's an altar that's open for you to repent because we all have. But at the same time, I think what we have to do and what I have to do is I can't allow the frustrations that I often feel that are associated with the Christmas season to rob from me the truths of the Word of God. So I'm able to judge myself, judge my own heart, and pray that God teaches me something that I can share with you. Now, one of the things that I'm not necessarily very good at um, in theologically is philosophically. I'm not that person that necessarily ponders the big picture all the time. I'm that person that when I'm an action-reaction. If I see something, man, I go. You know, God gives me something, I rejoice. If he says, go here, that's what I want to do. But every now and then, I like to draw back, if I can, and have a little bit of contemplation. So I was able to go back and look over the latter couple of years, and when I've drawn close to Christmas, my, my, my sermons have been about the light. And I was able to go back and read over, and those are dynamic sermons, by the way. They should be posted somewhere and made available to the common preacher. But nonetheless, I was able to glean from them and compile the thought process and then take a step back of it and arrive at this moment where I said, but the light, the light, what is the purpose of light? So I've tried to put my thinking hat on and to contemplate and ponder and to try to look at it uh, through hillbilly musings, if I may, for just a few moments. And I, I just arrived at some, some conclusions that the purpose of light, and we read it here in Genesis, and this was certainly natural light. And what you may see, if you notice the order in the scripture here, takes a little bit of study. There's light that is distinct from the sun and the stars, which were created later. But what we see there is a light. Even science has come to finally uh, acknowledge what God already told us. There is light that's beyond just the sun and beyond stars. There's a light that continues to expand because God said, let there be light. And so, what's the purpose of that light? Well, it's to scatter the darkness, if we're just going to be honest. It's to scatter. Darkness is always present, but light has to be produced. And so, dar uh, darkness is driven away, and in the process of that, it reveals. Sometimes light reveals things that are there all along, but you wouldn't know it if it wasn't for the light. Are y'all out there? It exposes sometimes good, sometimes negative things that once again are hidden by the darkness. But it also illuminates. It can illuminate us to a particular place. It can illuminate, illuminate our path. I didn't have light this morning, but when I came down the mountain, I was coming through the fog, and it felt like gross darkness that I'm going to touch on here in just a moment of time. And, and I needed something to help me direct my, my path. And so, so the light points us towards things. It illuminates our path. So light itself cannot be grasped uh, like something tangible. It's not something that you and I can go and we can reach our hand up into and take hold of it and pull it away. You can go to water 
which oftentimes is transparent, and you can reach your hand in it, and you can lift, and there's a tangible surface, surface of some type in your, in your hand. But with light, you can't do that. You can't obtain it as a physical object. But it does have an origination point, and we've already read that text. It's God. God is light. And the writer said, and in him there is no darkness at all. So if there's darkness in your life and you're trying to find God as the origination point of that darkness, you won't find him. He's the originator of light. And so in creation, we see again that God has a traveling speed. They call it the speed of, or the, uh, the, the, the speed of light. And so it's akin, uh, when I thought about this in the movement of light, it's akin to a storm. When you and I often, we see that we watch the, the live Doppler radar. How many of you ever seen a squall line come along? And you can see the, the winds that are in the front moving. Well, that's kind of to a degree the way light is. There's an outer force that we can see it advance. It can move and it can advance, but not necessarily with physical destruction, but rather with illumination. And that's very important for us as you begin to understand this. Darkness covers. The Bible uses the term to describe darkness as gross darkness. You know what gross darkness is? Gross darkness is when there is maybe perhaps even in the, if it's using the physical analogy is that if you've ever gone outside on a night when there's clouds and you can't even see the clouds, it's so dark, but the clouds have obscured the reflective light of both the stars and the, and the moon. And so what you see at that moment is gross darkness. It's just enveloping darkness. It's heavy or thick. But with that, and you contemplate that in your mind, with the, even the thickest of darkness, it cannot restrict even the faintest of lights. Did you know the Bible uses that term when it says the light shines into the darkness? And the King James Bible says, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. And if you read it in another translation, it probably says it this, and the darkness cannot overtake it. So as long as there is a point of origin, the light, then it doesn't matter how thick the darkness can be, the darkness cannot obscure that light. Man, that's good right there. And so there is a physical darkness, yes, but then there is also a spiritual darkness. Some of you know that. To be the case. And God often communicates with his people through physical analogies, correct? The Bible says plainly, first that which is natural, then that which is spiritual. And though we are natural creatures, there's a part of us that has a spiritual part as well that we commune in fellowship with God. So God teaches us many times through the natural part to teach us spiritual truths. So we have, a, as I speak about spiritual darkness and spiritual light, it's related to our personal understanding in the context of both believe in and fellowship with God. Meaning we believe in God, but we, not, we don't just believe in. There are, almost everybody believes in God. There are a few atheists. There are some, but I want you to know when they get really pressed, most of them are not true atheists. Correct. And so, but at the same time, you can have a believe in God and not fellowship with God. I want to do more than just believe in God. I want to commune with the Father. I want to know Him. And in order to know Him, I've got to see Him by virtue of the light. Right? For God would reveal Himself through the virtue of the light. One can be darkened in your understanding. As a matter of fact, we'll probably read this text in a moment. But the Bible says that the whole world sits in darkness. Spiritually speaking, I know today that on this side of the hemisphere we have light. But at the same time, the world around us is in obscure darkness. They've not been illuminated. Alyssa opened the service and shared with us the people that she's walking past in the shopping centers. It's, their hearts are, are, are discontented is because they don't have any light. 
They need the light. There's darkness in their mind and in their soul and their heart. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, verse 18, man's understanding is darkened. You know what? In order to know the Father and commune with Him, and I'm going to probably address this from the pulpit on Wednesday night as I minister on the, in the candlelight service, it takes a revelation of truth. God has to reveal Himself to you. People that sit in darkness must see a great light. Or you'll live the entirety of your life bound to the limitations of, those, of that darkness. As I contemplated in my limited understanding, the, I was taking this message and I'm trying to step back and say, God, help me to even look at the, at the beginning. I started with the Genesis and to where we are today and help me to kind of have an overview of man and, and this issue of darkness and how God is overcoming the darkness by light. As I was contemplating, you've heard me say this more than one time, but the greatest plight of God's creation over the history of humanity in the sense of that communion or fellowship with Him is idolatry. Now, you and I, in our Western culture today, we don't see idolatry to the degree that the writers of Scripture did, correct? But anybody that's ever read or even perhaps traveled in certain countries, but especially if you've read the history of civilizations, there was something in that it was instinctive in the hearts of men, and it was a compulsion to worship. How many of you know that? Even people that are wickedly sinful still have many times a desire to commune and fellowship with God. They just don't know where to look. Is that right? And so there are false religions. The Bible says that Satan himself has transfigured into an angel of light. And Satan himself has manipulated the desire of men to worship, and he introduced to humanity from the fall of Adam idolatry. He took the knowledge of God that began to grow dim in the earth and began to twist it. The writer Paul said, man's foolish heart was darkened. And he changed, listen to this, in the context of idolatry. He changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image that's likened to corruptible man. It might have been an image of a celestial being or a terrestrial being. It might have been uh, the sun or the moon or an animal or an angel or a man. Isaiah describes it in Isaiah 43, I believe it is. You can read it in your own. So the writer Isaiah in a culture around him that had been seduced by idolatry describes idol worship. He said, a carpenter goes out and hews down a tree, and he takes a select portion of that tree, and then he goes back and he uses his skill, and he molds it into something that he places on a pedestal. Then he contrasts that with perhaps a metal worker who goes into the forge and does the very same thing, or a stone mason would go and take a piece of of." Uh, 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 of masonry cut out and he'll take his giftings and his ability and he'll hew out an image and he'll take it into a temple place it on an edifice and there take a step back and people will fall before it and yet the writer Isaiah says but that the statue or the image has no life in it can't speak it can't encourage you it can't warm you with its presence it can't comfort you when you're down its mouth is muted it has no intellect it has no reason it has no power it has no life but unfortunately the plight of humanity across the world from the genesis is because man is obscure in darkness man has bowed before idols and men still bows before idols. And what they need, the people that sit in darkness need to see a great light. 
And so we're going to get to that in a moment. And so, God, let me take you through this. Idolatry led to unrighteous living because people were deceived by the satanic influence of the, of the, of the priesthood, of the idols. And so sinful, sensual appetites were awakened in mankind. Pagan practices became detestable practices. And so for God, in order to preserve humanity, he began to cast light. So in casting light, how would God do it? He formed a covenant. And the first covenant God forms was a man called Noah. He preserved life through Noah and through Noah's seed. God then formed a covenant with a man named Abraham, who, Abram at the time, living in the land of what we would call today modern-day Babylon. He brought him on a long journey all the way around the Fertile Crescent, all the way down to the land of Israel, promising him that wherever his feet would trod, God said, I'll give that, to you, that land to you and your children and your descendants. And then God reaffirmed that covenant to the seed of Abraham, First to Jacob and then uh, Jacob's descendants, which became when they were born, when they were birthed out of the womb of Egypt, they were known as Israel. And that's where you're more familiar with it. And that's what we're going to go through for a moment today. God's covenant with Israel would commence at Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, what happened at Mount Sinai, church family? It was there that the one true God, the invisible God, stepped out of glory and made his presence known. He moved past the celestial. He moved past the sphere of heaven. He moved past the atmospheric conditions. He moved past the wind, and he moved past the stars and the sun. And God himself stepped out of the third heaven, and he, and he dropped himself onto a, a, a granite mountain. And the mountain couldn't contain his glory. And the mountain began to shake, and there were thunderings and lightnings and voices. And the audible voice of God was heard. And one lone, courageous figure, there was darkness that separated God from the people but one lone courageous figure Moses went into the darkness where God was and there he discovered the light man I'm preaching myself happy today I love to follow the story because when Moses came down he came down with something that was critical to mankind what was it, it was a law it was a law that revealed how man in darkness could to a limited degree have communion with a holy God the one true God and so the writer Solomon, many hundreds of years later, would say, God's commandment, Proverbs 6 and 23, God's commandment is a lamp. Look at this. And his law is what? What is it? The commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs over instruction. Are what are they? They're the way. Man didn't know how to live, did he, church family? Man didn't know how to fellowship, commune with one another, how to have civil and social justice, how to, how to react with his, uh, his, his fellow neighbor until God said, I'm going to teach you. God gave Moses the instructions there on the mountain, the instructions for the tabernacle. The tabernacle was transitional, but it was a holy place, and it was a most holy place. Can I take a moment to describe it? Because I want you to see something here that's going to cast illumination for you. At the end of this message, you're going to walk out of here, and I hope you're going to have a greater insight to the purpose of the light. God chose Israel to commune with him and fellowship with him and to reveal his glory. God chose and allowed mankind to worship with him through the means of this transitionary mode of worship called the tabernacle. And you've read it in the old covenant and you've seen it. It was nothing but a tent that was covered on the outer side with four layers of animal skins. There was a great 
veil that prevented people from entering the common person. Only the priest or the Levite could go in. There was a holy place and a most holy place where another veil separated the two places. And there behind the veil in the most holy place was what's called the Ark of the Covenant. And it was there that that tablet of stone that Moses had saw the finger of God come out and the silhouette and, and ride on the, on the tablet of stone. It was there that Moses had placed them inside the Ark and between the wings of the cherubim. That's where God said, I'll sit. That's where I'll commune. That's where the Shekinah, the glory of God, the Hebrew word to describe the glory of God, that's where it abode. And inside the holy place, there was the, there was the, the golden menorah, the lampstand, and there was the table of shoe bread, and there was a golden altar of incense. And I don't have time to develop all that thought, but I want you to see for a moment of time, inside that holy place, not the most holy place, where there were boards. The boards were made of wood, but they were covered with gold, and it re reflected off of the golden boards was the light that was produced by the seven lamps of the lampstand because that tabernacle was so shrouded no natural light could penetrate it but how would the priest be able to serve inside the holy place is because the lamp of the menorah which is the hebrew word or the or the aramic word for for lamp or light for candle that that golden candlestick that golden menorah is what gave the light it reflected it there and so the rest of the Torah was recorded on leather scrolls. And Israel's instruction was given to God. So that was how they worshiped God by the means of the tabernacle. And their instruction, I want you to see this because I just feel like it helps people when you discover purpose. And I don't want to sound like a, a preacher today that, is, uh, that, that, that doesn't have conviction in his sermon and his message today. But I just believe that every one of us, if we can see that there was a purpose to light and that purpose is being worked out in your life as well, I'll tell you what, it'll cause you to live life differently. You can walk through Target with others in darkness around you and you can say, you know what, I've got a divine purpose here today. The people are seated in darkness. But I'm a, come on somebody, are y'all hearing where I'm? Are you catching where I'm about to take you if you'll stay with me? So ancient Israel were given instructions. Keep the commands of God. What did it say? It said, and live. Keep the commands of God and live. Their initial purpose, Shane, was to dispossess and then possess the promised land. Dispossess it of its inhabitants and possess it. And in doing so, they would preserve their progenity by keeping and practicing the law. And certainly the greatest deception and the greatest temptation that Israel struggled with in its history was a return to idolatry. The people around them seated in darkness, their sensual and fleshly appetites awakened, and they were worshiping a plurality of gods. And so Israel found itself struggling, oftentimes falling into. There was a, but at the same time, God had a purpose for them, a calling on their life. And I want you to see this. There's one verse we're going to put up here. It's Deuteronomy first, number 6 of chapter 4. Here's the part of the purpose to ancient Israel. He said, I want you to keep, therefore, and do them. Do what? The law, the commandments. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations. So God said, I'm calling you as a people. I'm calling you as a people as you dispossess and possess the land. I'm calling you so that when people, and then when you work this thing out and you work out your own salvation and you learn how to function in the commandments of God, how to walk in the precepts, how to bend your will to the will of God, how to adhere to and to fulfill the commandments of God, God said, I'm going to use you as the other nations around you look and see. They're going to say, wow, that's a great nation and it's a wise and an understanding people because the blessing of an invisible God had fallen upon this unique and small people group that were living their lives in the hill country just outside or east of the Mediterranean Sea in what we call the Near East. 
So church family may take you into that. You say, does that have a connection to me here on uh, what you would call your Christmas service? Yeah, stay with me and you'll, you'll understand this because that was God revealing his purpose to a people. But God took them further. How many know God's always taking you further? I believe that. God takes you from, from here to there. He's always taking you from glory to glory. He's taking you. He's moving you in your maturation. And it's not bound to your physical person. The apostle Paul said the outward man can perish. I'm not as tall as I used to be. I'm not as strong as I used to be. I can't jump as high as I used to. But I want you to know the man on the inside gets stronger every day. Come on, the man on the outside gets a little older, a little more bent, a little more limited in what he can do physically. But on the inside, because the light of God has illuminated my soul and my spirit to God, I can get stronger every day. I can, I can walk in the function and the purpose of God. And God was revealing this through ancient Israel. Let me tell you, church family, if you, if you want to deepen your knowledge of God and your communion of God, you have to go through the lens of ancient Israel. You have to see God dealing with them because he will teach you through them. The tabernacle was transitionary, but God had always promised that he would build them a place. Or he would have a place where he would call his house. You may remember if you studied the word of God that David desired to build God a house. But he was forbidden, so he purchased the land and the location and he gathered the resources till his death. But his son Solomon would build him a house. And with the erection of this house, it seemed as if God's purpose for Israel was further revealed, greater purpose. I shared this with the staff on Wednesday night, and I'll just to give you a little nugget of it. I've shared it previously at this church family when Solomon had windows put into the temple. So you have the tabernacle, which was curtains and tents, no windows. But when they built the, ta- the temple, Solomon had narrow windows. But the ancient Jewish writings of the Talmud tell us that the way that the, house, the windows in the houses of ancient Israel, the windows in the house of God was cut differently. In the homes of the people, it was cut larger on the outside to let more light in to the home. But God in his house, Solomon cut it reverse so that there would be light, not greater light, natural light coming from outside in, but the light of that golden candlestick that burned 24 hours a day that casts light to the nations because what God was saying is that inside is the law and inside is a revelation of God. And Israel, this is your purpose. Your purpose is to be a light to the Gentiles. Your purpose is to light the darkness where men and women are bowing before deities that have been carved out by the carpenter's tools or by the mason's tools and they're worshiping and some are even having atrocious uh, sacrifice of their own children and these and, and in this plight all around you but God said I've cast you and called you to be the light are you out there today church family you can see this it helps you to begin to discover there was a purpose to it men were in darkness and they needed the light and so in Isaiah chapter number 63 or 60 excuse me we're going to put these three verses of scripture God is reaffirming to ancient Israel with the temple now in place God said I'm calling you Israel I'm calling you arise and shine for what has happened the light has come and the glory of the Lord is where? It's risen around thee and upon thee. Verse number two. For behold, the darkness covers the earth. And what kind of darkness covers the people? But the Lord shall rise upon who? And his glory shall be seen. Where's it going to be seen upon thee? In verse number three. I love this passage. And the Gentiles shall do what? 
they shall come to that light and kings into the brightness of that rising. And so God said to my people, the nation of Israel, I've called you out of darkness and I've placed you into a communion and a covenant and a fellowship with me and you are able to receive of my light. And now I want you don't to just hold this light for yourself, but the people around you that sit in darkness, you take that light and you shine with them the glory of that light. How many know that men sit in darkness? The thing they need the most is a revelation of the one true God. They need to know that God so loved them. And he loves them even to this very hour. The continual struggle, unfortunately, with idolatry led. And I'm preaching fast today. The original temple was destroyed. Jewish synagogues later, over a course of time, dotted the landscape. As Israel would attempt to teach more consistently. I gotta, I'm, I'm doing good on time. Y'all don't be rushing me up here. Listen, y'all stay with me I want, because I'm bringing it. I'm going to narrow it to you in a moment. We're wide like the window, but we're going to narrow in just a moment so you can see how does this relate to you so that you can be who God's called you to be. So between the time that the first temple was destroyed, 586 B.C., and the time of the erection and the, and, and the beautification of the second temple, the temple that Jesus himself would go and visit, Jewish synagogues dotted the landscape of Israel in attempts to teach more consistently the Torah to both their own native citizens and proselytes or God-fearers to her religion. But unfortunately, over 300 years of its existence, the struggle to remain faithful and hopeful and sound and secure as a, nat- as a nation was, was thwarted at times because of the, the invasion of the Greco-Roman culture to Hellenize the people. And so we're arriving at a time in human history when there is a, a, a moaning, a groaning in the land. And the, and the moaning and the groaning in the land of Israel was for a Messiah, someone who would deliver them from this, this very difficult moment. And you've heard me preach about it many times, and I won't go into detail about it today. But what had happened to the people at the time that we read about in the New Testament, a strict adherence to the law of Moses, yet often without sincerity or compassion or it was being demanded by its leaders and their leaders were often hypocritical but then the Bible says that in the fullness of time God would do something God would interrupt mankind in this futility and its worship for God God would send forth a great light who would he send and what would he send he would send forth his son made under the law under the lamp unto their feet and a light into their path made under the law to reveal to them the father Matthew, I don't have time to develop it, but I love the way Matthew records it. Writing to a Jewish audience says this, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. you got to go back. I just love the way it's written in the old English. The birth of Jesus was on this wise. The story of his birth, the promise of the Father is still celebrated today. You and I are celebrating it in our hearts this morning. And so it's still celebrated, but it's still misunderstood by the masses to this day. But the angels awaken the dark night on that night when they announced to the to the shepherds who were keeping watch over their sheep in the fields. The Bible says that their words were this, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. A new day had dawned in the earth. What day was it? A new light had sprung up for all men to see. And there's a purpose behind that light. Luke 2 and 32, Simeon, the old prophetic voice, took the young child Jesus when his father and father and mother had taken him to the temple of God to dedicate him. Simeon prophesied over him and said, you'll be a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Now you and I know this to be true for 40, or excuse me, for 30 years, that light was shrouded in obscurity. Shrouded, he was here among us for 30 years and we did not know it. Till a voice was heard in the wilderness. Prepare you the way of the Lord. 
make his path straight. John the Baptist came with an anointing that had not been seen or heard for 400 plus years in the land of ancient Israel. So many people ran out to him and they questioned him. Time doesn't allow us to go there, but they thought he was the light. And they asked him, are you the light? John records and responds and says, he was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. Because listen to this, that was the true light. Are y'all out there today? That was the what? It was the true light, which will light every man that can come into the world. And so when Jesus began to both preach and teach, let me show you this, and I'm going to narrow this and, and bring it to a, a finality in just a moment. I want, I want you to see something that is often not caught in our personal study. It's a familiar passage of Scripture, but we often overlook it. One of Jesus' first messages that he taught was called the Sermon on the Mount. How many of you are familiar with that? It's recorded in Matthew chapter number 5, and we're going to pick it up at verse number 13. We often pick this up, and we make this, and we associate it to who we are today, but I'm going to put you in its proper Jewish context. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its flavor, wherewith shall it be salted? It's thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Verse number 14. It says, you are what? You say it with me, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Let's read it on down. Let's keep that thought in your mind. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. We're going to go ahead and read all the way through 19. Let your light so shine before men that they may what? See your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Verse 17, think not I've come to destroy the what? The law, the prophets, I've not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Verse 18, for verily I send you till heaven and earth shall one jot and tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Verse 19, if you teach and break one of the least of these commandments, you're teaching men to do so, you're going to be called least in the kingdom of God. Why am I bringing that up to you today here when I'm preaching about the light? It's because we often as, as Gentile believers take that passage of scripture and we make it applicable to us right away, but that's not the context that Jesus is speaking. Jesus is looking at a Jewish audience surrounding him, and he's reminding them, Jane, of their historical calling. He's looking at them, and he's saying, listen, he said, you know about the letter of the law, but you forgot about the spirit of the law. He said, let me, if you follow Jesus' writings, how many of you believe in the value and the virtue of the law? Obviously, Jesus did, right? But Jesus said, let me sum up the law for you in just two words. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, and all thy strength, and every religious Jew across the world could rejoice. But then Jesus said, let me take it deeper because here's the spirit of the law. And love your neighbor. Come on, somebody. And love your what? And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus was reminding the Jewish people, the Jew Jewish audience, God's called you to be a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Let your works be seen before men that they may do what? Glorify so that they can see, they can see the glory of your Father. If we were to read later, we won't, for the sake of time, John chapter number 12, Jesus said this. Jesus said this. Jesus said, if you'll come to me, you can receive light. And he said, and you can become the children of the light. And I think about that as I meditated and I thought, God, that's where we're at today because of Christ and because of what he accomplished on the tree that God has now opened up for all men to have access to a holy God. And you and I today can easily, quickly become children of light. And when you become a children of light, then what's our responsibility? What's our calling? What's our purpose? To shine the light and to share the light and to be the light and to walk in the light and to live in the light. Because God looked at the light and God said the light is good. And the light is the only thing that can overcome the darkness. The light is the only thing that can expose the need for man to turn to God. The light is the only thing that can point man where he needs to find God. 
And that's why we shine the light. You may have not known it when you came here today and you got up this morning and you were tired and your body was aching and you were out shopping and there, was, uh, there, there were fears in your mind and everybody's casting all these thoughts about COVID and everything. But you said, you know what, I'm going to push all that past. I'm going to put my shoes and my clothes on. I'm going to get in the car and I'm going to go to the house of God. You did not know, but you were going to be the light. Your neighbors would see you get in your car and they would drive down the road and they would say, well, they're going to the church. Yes, they're going because we're letting our works be seen before men. That's why you give gifts. That's why you, we do kind things. That's why we have benevolent acts. We want people to see that there's light in a darkened time, in a darkened place. That's our calling. That's our purpose, correct? We're called to be the light. We're children of the light. And I'm going to close with this passage of Scripture. You're going to turn there with me and it's my closing thoughts today. Here's your purpose. Are you all out there today? Y'all feel good about this? I feel good about it. Obviously, you did too, or you wouldn't have came. You knew what you was going to get, right? The latter few weeks, church family, I've been preaching some of the hardest messages. Most, not, not, not hard in the sense that it's physically demanding upon me. I've been preaching some of the more, more contra, controversial and difficult subjects than I could ever preach. Because anytime you take these cultural issues that are politicized and bring them into the sphere and the spectrum of the church, it can easily divide and can cast confusion and it can add contention and, and that's never the intention in my heart and mind. But I believe this. I don't believe CNN has the light. I don't believe Fox News has the light because I believe that this is the light. I've got a revelation from God right here. I was, I was reading a quote uh, that was, um, it was on that most difficult subject matter of same-sex attraction. And it was, uh, I was reading this from a sermon that I preached in days gone by, and it was dealing with Pastor John Lindale, the pastor of, uh, what's the name of the church, Shane, up there? James River Assembly of God, which is real close to uh, Lambert's, the home of Throat Row. So if you don't know about one, you know about the other. Come on, somebody. And I knew I'd get an amen out there somewhere. And so... Um, well, he was he was caught up in a he was caught up in a difficult thing where he was being criticized by 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 the papers because he had made some statements uh, just in, in trying to help lead people in, into an understanding that uh, we're not condemning and we're not being condescending when we deal with this very difficult subject matter, but we believe we have light that can lead people to a place of freedom and deliverance. And but but the the people that were con contradicting and were kind of arguing and using their platform and their moment to to refute the things that Pastor Lindell said, they, quote, they, they, they said, you know what, the harm that he's doing is, is that he is teaching people with same-sex attraction to suppress, to suppress their own natural sexual attraction. And they, and they pointed to the American Medical Association as a point of confirmation that he was in error for teaching them to suppress it. But you know what? We're not looking to the American Medical Association. We're looking to the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. Moses came down from the mountain. Solomon saw it and read it and said, the law is a lamp and it's a light. And if I'll read it, follow it, and share it, then there's life. And so that's why I, I said, I'm not just going to preach a normal Sunday Christmas service for you today. I'm going to wrap up some of the things, and I'm going to put you in this final context. This is why I do these things today. Ephesians chapter number 5. Let's go there, and we're going to close with this. We're going to skip chapter 4, Angie. I want you to read this with me. We're reading and closing today. It's going to be on the screen. If you've got your Bible, read it in your Bible. If you've got it on your phone, look on the screen. 
because I won't know for sure if you're really reading the Bible if you're looking on your phone. You'll be FaceTiming somebody. Right? Be ye therefore followers of God as what? As dear children. How many know that's our calling? Here's what our calling is to a wicked and dark world. Walk in as Christ has loved us. Come on, somebody. That means if you're going to get in conversation with somebody, you better temper yourself. If you're going to be used of God to help somebody, then you better check your own spirit first. Right? If you've got a condescending, condemning attitude or mindset, you're not going to help anybody. You may do harm than good and do more harm than good. You've got to have a spirit of love and grace upon you, just as Christ was. He gave himself as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Let's just read it on down. Now, then he, Paul addresses one of the more difficult things, and that's sexual fornication. And all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saint. How many know that you've got to judge your own self? Right? I prayed this morning, and I prayed in judgment. I did. I prayed in judgment, but I never looked at a single one of you. But I judged my own heart before God. And I said, God, let me judge my own heart and mind, any type of any subject matter that I'm dealing with, about any issue in my life or my family, God. The only person that I can control is the man that looks back at me in the mirror. That's the only one. God, help me in the name of Jesus. He said, but then he moved on. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but the rather the giving of thanks. How many know this is what God expects for us? This is God's calling. This is God's purpose. Let's read on down. Verse 5. For this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. If we go all the way back to the Genesis, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God said the light was good, and he said the light would be divided from what? The darkness. And nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. There's still two kingdoms. There's still two realms. There's light and darkness. People are seated in darkness, and we want to call them out of darkness. You were in darkness until a great light sprung up. Verse number 6, let no man deceive you. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's the American Medical Association. I don't care if it's the president or if it's a senator or if it's a religious clergy. Let nobody deceive you with vain words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. Be not, therefore, partakers with them. The light is divided from the darkness. Verse number 8. For who are we? Who are we? This is what ought to produce the humility in us, church family. On this Christmas celebration Sunday, on the, what is this, the 20th of December or the 21st? The 20th. But you know who we were, church family? You know why we ought to have more compassion than anybody? You know why we ought to have more love and, 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 and be full of faith and to encourage people? Because we know what darkness is ourselves. We know what it's like. You know what it's like to be a drug addict. Many of you know what it's like to have been an alcoholic or to be a fornicator or even to be an adulterer, but you found the light. Come on, somebody. The glory of God sprang upon you, and God called you out of darkness into his marvelous night. And what are you now? What are you now? I came to church this morning to just hear just some little simple happy message. No, you are light in the Lord. Then live your life to the glory of God the Father. Walk in the light as what? Go back to that one. Go back one if you would. Go back one more if you would, Auntie, if you can. Verse number eight. Walk as what? I want you to see this. As you got to live differently. You got to be different. Light and darkness are totally two different spectrums. And so are we to the children of this world. Walk as children of the light. Verse number nine. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness. And don't forget that word. Don't get me started preaching about that today. And truth. But you read it and you just mark that. And here's part of what we do as the light. We prove 
what is acceptable unto the Lord. I didn't say the American Medical Association. I didn't say the Democratic Party. I didn't say the Republican Party. But as children of the light, where we have the lamp and we have the light, we're going to prove what's acceptable unto the Lord. Verse number 11. Let's read on down. Closing. Have no fellowship. That doesn't mean I can't have friendship. Right? Doesn't mean I'm not to be kind, to be kind to all. But I mean, you know, there's a difference between friendship and fellowship. I can be friends with folks, but I don't have fellowship with the darkness. Are y'all out there? Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. But what do we do? What, what do we do? Are y'all out there? Stay with me. The purpose of the light. God's called you. God, Jesus said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. But he's been removed to heaven. But his light still shines. But where does it shine? Shines through you, doesn't it? But here's the purpose of it. Here's the purpose. It reproves. Verse number 12. Let's read it. It's a shame even to speak. There's a lot of things that's done in darkness that I don't even want to talk about. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to Facebook scroll it. I don't want you sending me a messenger about it. I don't want to even know about it. I don't want my brow to be troubled with the measure of darkness that's on this earth. Right? It's a shame even to speak of it. Let's go a little bit further. But all things that are reproved or are exposed are what? Are made manifest by what? Come on now. I'm closing. I, yes, I, I say it six times to keep you, you know, keep going with me here. Manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest or reveals is light. This is the only thing that can lighten the darkness of mankind. This is the only thing that can take mankind out of a spiritual stupor of, of darkness and drunkenness and bring them into a revelation of who the Father is. It's the light. Therefore, he says, here's what God says through us. Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Christ shall give thee light. Let's go on down. We're going to finish this out. So then, so then, you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. I'll tell you, when I, when I stand up here and preach, I've been preaching for, I told you, pastoring for 25 years. I started preaching when I was 17, and I'm 52, so that's 35 years. I know the biggest shock that many of you have is that a guy that looks so young is 52. But you've got to move past that, though, and stay focused spiritually for just a moment. But from the time that I began preaching to this day right now, I call the church, and I've always called the church to be distinctly different. I can still remember when I was in the Air Force, basic training. And I was in, uh, and I'll tell you, when you're in basic training, you got to go to church one time a week, and it was a solace. Because there inside the walls of the church, the TI, that's what they call them in the Air Force. They don't call them drill instructors. They call them technical instructors. They could not follow you in there. Thank God. It was a solace. <laughs> And I'm many years have passed from that time till now, but I can still remember it. You just went to church whether you wanted to go to church or not, whether you wanted to worship God or not. You just didn't want somebody yelling at you for that period of time. People thought, I wish our church was that way. I come to church and the preacher yells at me. <laughs> but we do it with love and humor. But I can still remember that day, and I stood there all dressed in blue. We were all standing and singing, and that was the time when the old song, We Are the World, We Are the Children. We can make a difference. And we started singing that in the church. And all the boys and girls in blue had their hands, and they were all holding hands, and they were just waving right there. And I was like, I shall not be. I shall not be moved. I shall not be. Because you know why? Because I'm not of this world. Right? I, the light had illuminated my 
person and I had communion and fellowship with God and I knew there was a distinct difference from the light and darkness even at the tender young age of 18 and I wasn't going to stand there and connect with people in that sense I had no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness I wasn't called to just sway and to be kind and watch men and women go to a devil's hell in the darkness and obscurity I was called to be the light to, to be circumspectly to walk not as a fool but as wise and I've been preaching ever since and I'm char charging those under the sound of my voice be different Live different and know there's a difference. God shines the light into the darkness. And the darkness cannot overtake it. Won't y'all stand up with me? We'll read this in closing today. Let's read these last six verses. We might as well. Why? Because the purpose is to redeem the time. Come on, the days are what? Evil. Therefore, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We'll stop right there. Understand what the will of the Lord is. That's why you read this book. That's why you think and meditate and ponder upon the scriptures. That's why you get up every day and say, God, give me a word in my heart. That's why when you get in your vehicle and you go to your job, you're not just going to work at a manufacturing plant. You're going to be a light. That's why when you're a school teacher and you get up in the morning, you think, oh, my gosh, I've got these unruly teenagers that I'm going to have to deal with today. And now I've got restrictions of COVID. And I got all No, you know what you're doing? You're walking into a dark place filled with the power and the love of Almighty God. And you've got an anointing on your life. And you're going to shine the light in everything that you do. And how you talk, how you act, how you react, they're looking to you. You are the light. That's your calling. That's your purpose. That's the purpose of the light purpose of the light is to illuminate and to show people there's hope in Christ and so our heads are bowed and our eyes closed today father I've done my very best as shallow as it may have been God to remind the church of their divine purpose a purpose that began in the Genesis from Noah to Abraham to Israel to Yeshua to the followers of Yeshua, the children of light. That from the very beginning, the genesis of time, God, you saw the darkness and you said, I want to drive it away by the virtue of the light. And God, I came to this house today to remind two distinct people groups. First, the church. That's your responsibility. Sometimes you deal with very difficult subjects. Sometimes people ask you really hard questions. Part of your responsibility is to be ready to give answer, to dialogue, to encourage. He said it would be reproof. You would reprove. You would expose. But you would do it in a spirit of grace. Come on, somebody, and love. Pointing people, knowing that you used to be in darkness yourself. Put that spirit in all of us today. God, I don't want to limit people's voices I want to see, they need to speak. They need to dialogue. They need to engage. God, but I pray that they'll do so with a spirit of love and grace and kindness, but being fully convinced in the power and the virtue of the light. Thy law and thy lamp, it's a commandment. It's the light. God, my soul rejoices in it, in the word of God. God, bless my church family. I want to pray for you today. Your heads are bowed. I'm going to give an invitation in a moment of time. But before I do, I'm going to pray for my church family. Be the light. Be the light. Be full of light. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Live your life for the glory of God. Every day, everything that you do, you're the light. That coworker, 
may be in darkness, shine the light. That family member during the holidays that aggravates you the most might be in darkness and they need to see a great light. Help us, God, each one of us in our sphere of existence that we are willing to shine the light. That's our prayer today. Now, church family, I want to ask you to pray. I don't know who I'm preaching to today. There might be somebody that came with a family member today. You may be the very individual that I'm talking about. I want to ask you to be honest with yourself today. Are you in the darkness? Are you in the light? You know. It has nothing to do with the illumination of this natural light in this building or your eyes closed. It's all about your heart and your communion with God. I want to give you an opportunity today. He said that if you would awake from your sleep and come to Christ, he would give you light. Maybe I'm preaching to somebody that's watching on Facebook. Maybe a family member sitting there in their living room and a loved one's got on Pastor Brown preaching on Facebook Live. And you know you're in darkness. But I came along to tell you, Jesus is that light. Jesus is that light. Look to him today. Would you pray with me, sir, ma'am, if you're here under the sound of my voice? I've still got my eyes closed standing on this platform today. Here today, I'm going to pray a simple prayer with somebody that might be in this room or watching by Facebook today. I want to, I'm going to, I want to, I want to if I can, with whatever ability that I have, I want to lead you to the light. And so I want you to pray a prayer with me. It's a prayer that many of us prayed, very similar. Maybe not the exact words, but we prayed a very similar thought and a mindset. And when we did, suddenly a great light sprung up and everything in us changed. Like our preacher Joe said earlier, I thanked God I was saved. He knew there was a moment when he went from darkness to light. That can be you today. That can be you. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Father, I come to you today in humility. Church family, would y'all pray this prayer with me? And it may help and aid someone if you pray it audibly. Somebody beside you, your words may spark them to pray alongside of you. And maybe it will lead them to the saving light, saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, who is that light. Pray it with me and say, Father, I come to you today, a sinner needing a Savior. I sit in darkness, but today I have seen a great light. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And today, Lord, I repent of my sins, and I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you, Lord God, to come into my heart by the power of your Holy Spirit. Bring me from darkness to light. And I will follow you all the days of my life. Illuminate my past and let me be the light to those around me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen.